0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dying Time is here. That's right, we're still talking 1996's Scream on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from Woodsboro, the kind of town that shuts down at 5 p.m. This is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the goriest of details. Of Wes Craven's classic Scream in the hopes that a young high school student's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always, if there's there's only one person I trust that if I ask her, oh, Mr. Killer, uh, will you let me go through, or am I going to be your victim? Uh, she'll just cut my arm and uh, then flail at, at killing me for a very long time. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe how are you doing today, Gino?
1: I'm fine, but I, I had a different setup. I thought you would say that I I would be the only one you trust to you know, stab you lightly in the side.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a, the, we, the we'd be trading a poking at you, poking at you, poking at you type of Yeah, stamps? it's just
1: a little a little stab, you know, not, not not anything serious, just something on the side. <laughs>
0: we we might have to amend our game at the end to choose your own stab venture which is if you could pick any part of your body to be stabbed lightly so that you might not be brought up on murder charges what part of that body would it be and why
1: are we picking now or are we until the end
0: oh well let's introduce our guest and then we'll decide so i don't mean to scare you gina but we are not alone that is right we have a special guest she is of course a tv critic for the Hollywood Reporter, and she's the leading expert in how hot Antonio Banderas is on our new podcast, all about Alma Dovar, the one, the only Ingu Kang. How are you doing today?
2: Hi. Please stab me in the armpit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the armpit
1: would be pretty good.
0: Yeah, you I would was think the, that, but the, there's a muscle connected to that. Now you're not going to be able to raise your arm anymore.
2: How often do they do that anyway?
0: You would be surprised how I mean, I, I, when I had my, when I got hit by a car and, and, and I had my uh, collarbone broken, uh, I was surprised how uh, terrible I was at being able to accomplish. it.
2: I also have had my collarbone broken and I was surprised by how well I was able to drive on LA freeways with one hand. (laughs) This is why the LA freeways are terrible, but I could do it.
0: I, listen, I think you've already uh, demonstrated your bona fides here because there is no way that I would have been able to recover as well as you. So I think you are in way better shape to take on this kind of damage. Gina, what say you?
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, um, my initial thought would be the leg, but there's so many ways stabbing someone in the leg could go wrong. Yeah, you know, there's an artery there. Yeah, yeah, if you get someone in the thigh, I mean, they could they could drop pretty fast. Yes, um, I guess probably upper arm, maybe, you know, opposite side of the armpit. I could probably mm-hmm. be, I could probably be all right with that.
0: You're going for an out, outie rather than an inny on that. Right. On that. And
1: I'm going to use my, my I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of aim my left arm for it. Cause I don't use that arm that much.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm of the thought that I think I could take one of those stabs to the upper shoulder, you know, the diehard injury. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which, of course, uh, young people only know as a battery commercial now. Um, <laughs> God damn it! Can Bruce Willis is he alive? Do you think yes. he experiences joy? Because- no,
2: because he stars in M. Night Shyamalan movies.
0: <laughs> but I mean, this is a- he, he really, really has mean-
1: been dead the whole time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh Gina, that might be the funniest fucking joke you've ever said in 4 years and I mean that as a genuine compliment. That is genius.
1: Wow, that just like flew right out of my mouth.
0: I know. <laughs> that's the thing though, Gina, is I'm a machine gun. I scatter semi-funny shit in the hopes of hitting something that's really good and you're a sniper. When you you have something funny just bang. I love that. I have a Um, question
2: before we get into Scream. Sure. Why is your podcast called Kill by Kill?
0: Uh, Very briefly, uh, when we started this, one of the rages in podcasting was minute-by-minute shows. In fact, Gina and I were on the same, uh, not the same episodes, but the same minute-by-minute podcast of The Boy Next Door. And, um... I wanted to do, I wanted to talk about Friday the 13th, but I thought talking about it minute by minute would just ruin it. It would be terrible. And so I thought, but if you did it kill by kill, that might be better. And then from that moment on, that was the name of it. And I approached Gina and she said, yes, for reasons I still don't understand.
1: Because you compliment my joke telling ability. Clearly.
0: (laughs) I have to, they're good.
1: We, We started off kind of more focusing on the kills themselves, and then it kind of transitioned to talking about the characters, and now we just kind of really focus on just weird aspects, like a lot of, like, background stuff and all.
0: Yeah, because, honestly, like, neither one of us are are makeup effects people. We don't have that background. And... Part of it was getting into the details. I knew I wanted to talk about details because though that's one of the best things about Friday the Thirteenth, there are no characters. So if you're going to talk about them, you have to imbue them with character. Sometimes you have to read into every action and take in every detail in the hopes that it informs you of who they are. Of course, in Scream. They're they're full more fully formed characters, but they are still very worthy of discussion. But that is the reason why we are kill by kills. We we pass the time talking about a particular movie by the amount of deaths that occur.
1: Okay, that was more answer than she probably wanted. But (laughs) we are we are we are we are are incapable of giving a a yes or no answer to anything.
2: I'm just (laughs) genuinely surprised, and this is no reflection on your podcast uh that (laughs) are you ready for it Um, sure that there's like a real answer
0: oh (laughs) um yeah i mean listen i i toured around town trying to sell people on the this idea And I was told podcasting is over and you'll never get anywhere doing it. And I'm like, I don't need to go anywhere. I work at TV. I don't need this. I want to talk about Friday the 13th characters. (laughs) I want to talk about the weird ways they die. And people are like, no, thanks. And for some reason, Gina was like in a lull and just in a place where she was reaching for anything. And she said, yes. And lo and behold, you know, over four years later, we're still at it.
2: Congrats on your anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're still uh, we're still in the deep end. So now, uh, Ingo, uh, you are a recent convert to scary movies. Was, was there a reason why you held off for so long? Were you kind of a scaredy cat growing up?
2: I am absolutely a scaredy cat, and actually, Scream is one of the movies that made me a scaredy cat. Oh, because. It was the first slasher I had ever seen. I think Mm -hmm. I was like 14. I had, (laughs) now it's very funny because I'm really surprised by how bloodless Scream is compared (laughs) to so much of what I've seen since. Even on
0: TV, like, compare this to, you know, The Walking Dead or our other project, Hannibal. Like, (laughs) there's way more blood and guts in Hannibal than its (laughs) Scream.
2: I think like the knives go in, but nothing comes out, and then suddenly there's like a giant pool of red on someone's clothes. Yeah. But at the time, I was horrified by how bloody uh, something like how bloody a movie could be, Mm -hmm. and it was so scary that I just had no uh, interest in watching any more scary movies. Somehow, anyway, watched Scream Two in the theaters, Mm. and then just. Didn't watch any scary movies. (laughs) And then I think recently I listened to the podcast, uh, the Scaredy Cats podcast, which I know Mm -hmm. has like a very mixed reception in the horror world. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about Scream. I thought, I haven't seen this movie in so many years. I should rewatch it to see what I get out of it now. And I was so scared that I turned it off, (laughs) like, within the first three minutes, I caught up a friend who loves Scream. And basically, we were on the phone together while we watched over Zoom. And then I thought, oh, this is a delightful movie. And that was two months ago. (laughs) So then we rewatched Scream 2. He says he's going to get me to watch Scream 3 and Scream 4, but he has warned me mm-hmm. that scream three is a very hard sell because it's a very bad movie.
0: Yeah, I, I would look at it like um like a TV pilot for that was based on a movie. That's how I would view Scream okay. Three. <laughs> it's um it's underwhelming and it's a shame because there's so many people who should shine in that particular circumstance, but yeah, I don't know. It'll be an interesting rewatch whenever we get to it in in the next year because I think we're going to try to do the Screams before the 5th one comes out, you know. And in in the hopes that it's the Monkey's Paw that actually gets movie theaters to open back up again and and, and our our country to act um responsible. Sure, why not?
2: But because this is my first uh slasher movie, I like all of the genre like self-awareness completely went over my head <laughs> and so i think i gleaned pieces of it like as i grew up and scream just became so permeated in the culture right. yeah but i think something like there's like a weird dialogue to me between scream and buffy which is also another like extremely genre self-aware uh mix of horror and comedy sure and uh i think yeah, I think Buffy was just so much more speed at that time in my life. But yeah. I'm really coming around on horror.
0: Well, you know, uh, the one of the things about it is it's a very elastic genre. It can encompass a lot of different things. You can combine action and horror. You can combine comedy and horror. You can combine dre- like dread is another thing where it's just sustained dread. That's its own little lane. And that's one of the things I really enjoy about it is that it finds its own way into uh, keeping itself vibrant. And when it gets into ruts, that's where it starts to suck. And Scream is a weird, at the time, antidote for what was a genre that had run aground of what had made its bones it had been so vibrant in the 80s and it wasn't just slashers like there's a lot of different kinds of horror movies there was a lot of imagination but they got very bogged into down into horror is about franchises and in the end franchises can be fun but it the thing about horror is it can start in so many different places why always weigh it down to continuity um and weirdly enough, Scream would become one of the its own victims of things, and it's interesting how it dealt with it over time, as you will see in Scream three and four.
2: These days, you've got to have a sequel.
0: You've got to have a. Se- I mean, oh my god! All right, so let's just get into this um we resume this film where we left it just after the world's worst horror movie character Randy, uh, preemptively ends the movie for us uh in a very hot uh, very hot billion stew sandwich which they will go on to repeat um, and we hear uh, when Stu asks him, "Well, how, you know, what would your motivation be if you were the killer?" And he says, "It's the millennium. Motives are incidental," which begs the question, and I will pose it to you both: Are motives also incidental in the millennium? <laughs> that
1: reference is just starting to gather a little bit of dust. <laughs> Just a just a, just a tap. You could probably blow it off rather than having to you know, grab a giant Swiffer and you know, bat at it. Were
2: well, you guys uh, also I,
1: charmed that
2: there were there was like a crowded video store in that scene?
0: Yeah. 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 I all of every every time people get close, <laughs> like they're all up in each other's face. And it's one of those things that I think we'll appreciate, I would hope that we would appreciate more once we regain that capacity of closeness that we will not think of it as so uh, common and, uh, you know, like it's it's small change stuff. Like it, it actually means a lot to be able to have a close conversation and yell at one another in an open video store where you supposedly work randy should be fired he's a terrible video store clerk
2: one thing i do like about this movie is that there are two times when a girl guesses who the killer is i think it's uh, rose mcgowan's character and sydney Mm -hmm. And both times, they assume it's Randy who's the killer, (laughs) which I think is a brilliant piece of self-mockery. And I think there's so much really wonderful self-mockery in this movie. There was, like, a joke I put up on Twitter about—I think it was was something along the lines of, oh, like— This is just like one of those, like, Wes Carpenter movies. Yeah. And for Wes Craven to put that line in, I thought was really funny. And I know this movie is, like, very self-referential, but I feel like it doesn't get enough credit for being self-deprecating.
0: I, yeah, I mean, it was very revolutionary at the time, but it it suffers from that thing of... Doing something so well, and when everyone else begins to pick up on it as a method of humor and uh, being, you know, the the sort of red herringness of this sort of becomes the mystery slasher comes back into vogue. And it begins to look like, well, I've seen this before. And it's like the reason you've seen it before is because this did it so well. Everyone else said, we got to get in on that action. But worse. But, well, it's always going to be worse. (laughs) That's the thing about, you know, hitting the same drum beats. You, at a certain point, as good as Funky Drummer is, the the, the 500th time you use that sample, some of the power goes away. Funky Drummer in and of itself is a world-class breakbeat. But it also is so, you know, used so often. It simply drains it of some of that emotional impact over time. So you have to find ways to reinvent this type of wheel in the same way that Williamson forced himself to reinvent the slasher wheel. And then Craven on top of that, with his sense of humor and his knowledge of the genre, and also not wanting to repeat mistakes he found the the horror genre had plugged itself with i think you it just is a perfect storm of emotion picture
1: i agree <laughs> <laughs> i just listen to you guys i'm like yeah I'm like nodding in agreement i have I- <laughs>
0: um i the one one of the things here that uh, i really loved is and we talked about it briefly in the previous episode but um Uh, The panic has set in here in Woodsboro. So you see people reacting in ways they might not otherwise. A man uh, locks up and enters a car in the passenger seat and doesn't put on a seatbelt when they drive away. I'm like, put on that seatbelt. A young mom (laughs) is forced out of the city park before her picnic is through. Coffee shops close early. Dogs and cats living together. This is Central California mass hysteria. What's happening here? And then, uh, at one and then uh, they have a conversation uh, with Dewey. It's Tatum and Sydney, and uh, they look around the town and it's empty. And Tatum goes, "It reminds me of the town that dreaded sundown," which is a deep fucking reference in Scream. Uh, I think the first time I heard about the movie was from Scream. And the only reason I remember it is because at one point, the killer dispatches a young woman with a knife attached to a trombone. <laughs> I'm not making that up.
1: I feel like he sort of dropped that in there with the intent of people seeking out this movie to see if it's a real movie or not. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and you will learn it is one of the sweatiest horror movies ever made. And it's more of a police procedural. Uh, If you've seen Zodiac, you've felt the vibe of the town that dreaded Sundown, at least the original. I have never watched the remake. Have you, Gina? No, 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 I have not. Although some people state it's not actually a remake, but a reboot. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I I cannot speak to it. I can speak to the fact that the killer attaches a knife to the end of a trombone and kills a woman who's strapped to a tree with it.
1: I mean, that's just you know you don't want to get too close. No,
0: no. It's a very
1: but it also COVID feels like a Lara,
0: like a really long erection joke. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we are two days out from Jeffrey Tubin, so <laughs> I'm just going to pretend that. That Jeffrey
0: Trombonin is more like it. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think from our our discussion in part one, where we don't we don't get a ton of Tatum, she's uh, sprinkled in. It's it's very light uh, in the spice of, of Tatum. She's much more seen in in the second half until her for, unfortunate end. But I do think that Tatum at least understands the concept that if your mother was raped and brutally murdered, it's not an automatic turn-on. And I appreciate that about her.
1: (laughs) Because nobody else seems to get it. (laughs) No one
0: else gets this. And she's like, you know what? That was a really traumatic thing that happened to you. And, you know, he should really understand that. Like, she is an actual good friend? My question to you both, is Tatum an actual good friend to Sydney? I vote yes. What do you say?
1: I, you know, she does sort of bring up the, well, everybody knows your mom was a slut. <laughs>
0: <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> which,
1: which that 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 part gave me pause.
0: Yes. Yeah, when, but when she's also when, trying to relate to her about the reality of the situation. She is not trying to sugarcoat it, nor does she say it in an accusatory way that. She believes it, just that if it's said so many times, one is left with the only option of at least considering it as the truth.
2: I think there's like a really like semi-precious, semi-good line. It like so many of these Kevin Williamson lines really sit on that fence. Uh, I think we're ski or she said something like it's all a movie. Only you can't pick your genre. And I think that if Tatum could pick her genre, she would end up illegally blonde. (laughs) Like she's written to be a ditz, but she's also a ditz who gets it.
0: She does. She understands the reality of the situation. Now she doesn't always necessarily want to sit in it and just be real. Um, she has a different attitude around that, but I also believe that she is concerned for people's welfare, and that's genuine, and that does come across. Like, I, I wish they had more conversations that didn't have to do with their boyfriends. That's something that you can tell is a a man wrote this situation.
2: I think her death is also sort of the one that of, like, the three... Well, let's see. I guess we only really have two deaths of teenage girls, right? But if we compare her death to Drew Barrymore's in Mm -hmm. the beginning, it feels much more sort of like a retaliatory death. Like, I think one thing that's really fun about that death is that it's almost an accidental one in that Ghostface has to very impulsively think on his feet, which he doesn't generally have to. He usually yeah. has, like, a stabbing plan, but with this one, he sees that there's an opportunity to do something else, and so I think that's what makes that death fun, but on the other hand, she sort of taunts him, and so through her taunting and her wrongness, I think that the scene right before she dies sort of makes us glad that someone that this basically like this bimbo sort of gets it and I think there's like a little bit something there with like her outfit too like she has this ridiculous very fun very insane mini skirt Uh it's orange there's like a spiral pattern on both sides one is basically like right where her the center of the spiral on the front is like right where her vagina would be and the other one is right where her butthole would be (laughs) and so it's like it's I think there's sort of this like weird invitation to laugh and so it feels a little bit sadistic in a way that like the other death of True Barrymore doesn't
0: Hmm. I I think there's a uh, you're very right in a lot of ways I think that there's the other component to what makes that sequence different is that, well, as you said in the beginning, she almost dies by accident because up until that point, she is winning this con this confrontation. Once she is aware that there's a genuine danger and it's not just some Dick running through the hallways, because that is her previous experience with, with a ghost face is a Dick running through, the hallway is going boogity 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 so she goes into this thinking i'm in this situation again and when she recognizes the danger she is able to punch him kick him hit him in the face with the refrigerator hit him in the balls with a beer bottle i mean she hits him in the fucking face
2: it was very annoying he didn't just sort of keel over i found that very unrealistic
0: (laughs) Uh, yes, but he does. I mean, in comparison, and we mentioned this last time, but it's very true. In comparison to other slasher uh, killers, uh, historically, Ghostface is, takes damage and has to recover. He's not immortal and he's not immune to pain. So up until this point, like he's taken it, taken it, taken it. And because he's in front of the only escape route, she takes a different one, which she should be able to fit into. And the only reason she doesn't, and this is kind of buried in the sound mix is because her sweater gets caught hmm. on that doggy door and you begin to hear the rip. Otherwise she would have escaped.
2: Yes. I. And
0: so it's, it's, It's one of those things where it's more it has more to do with bad luck than the person behind that masks uh, skill. And that's why I think she still retains the upper hand in the situation. And it's just the cards came up, you know, deuces for her.
2: And I think also in Tatum's defense, she is also a film nerd. But she's a much more bearable one than Randy. Oh, yes.
0: She has I, like a, yeah, I, I mean, spit
2: on your garage line, and it's like a toss away, and it's perfect. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. I mean, Williamson is really throwing them out here <laughs> in terms of his dialogue choices. And if you were to hear this coming out of someone else's you know, typewriter, you'd be going, Oh, come on. But for whatever reason, it just works within the tone that this film sets. Like not every movie can have the ability to have two cops talking to one another, one of them smoking, and the other one furiously eating an ice cream cone.
1: <laughs> I love that. That is unique so to Scream. Okay. Can, can I ask a question? Sure. Do, do you think it was just a happy accident that they cast an actor named Jamie? to be playing a scene which he's saying Jamie look behind you I love that <laughs> it, it's pretty funny it's pretty funny and and yes. I I'm sure I must have made the connection you know before watching this but I, I watched am watching it and I'm like I'm like almost doing that Leonardo DiCaprio like pointing at the screen thing I'm like that's fucking funny <laughs> that's very that's very clever and I'm just like I'm like well that kind of had to have been an accident
0: Yeah, uh, yes, because like I looked up who else was being considered for that particular role because it's almost like everyone here auditioned for every male role and they kind of paced it out. But two other notable uh, actors who tried to become Randy was Breckin Meyer, who I think would have been good.
1: Uh, They would have been interchangeable. They were played the exact same kind of characters, certainly in the 90s.
0: Yes, Uh, but I don't think he would have been as hateable as Jamie Kennedy's Randy. And then the other one would have been too hateable, and that's Jason Lee. Oh god. Oh, and there's no. an insufferable amount of smug in that dude that just would have been too fucking much. And also, he would have been he would have looked like everyone's, you know, uh, you know, uncle who will buy you beer in comparison to everyone else.
1: I don't know because I mean, Matthew Lillard was like 25
0: when he, uh, but Matthew he, Lillard still looks young in this movie. He, like, everyone is obviously over the age of 18, but he doesn't look like, in comparison to the early Friday the 13th movies that we watched, which people always claim are teens. And you're like, no fucking way are these people teens? They're in their 20s and they're not pretending to be teens. Here, he at least looks like. He's a senior who skipped a grade. (laughs) (laughs) Or two. (laughs) One of the nice things uh, about that sheriff scene uh, with Dewey is that he is wearing the same boots. So again, a boot clue, something we haven't seen since the early Friday the 13th. We love a good boot clue. And then I guess uh, one thing that we, we talked about briefly uh, off air, but I really do want to talk about here on. And that is the Craven villain. Okay. So, Wes Craven, uh, there are certain tropes or motifs that he loves to revisit. He's not afraid to revisit a concept like the bathtub uh, sequence in um, Deadly Blessing and then be revisited in A Nightmare in Elm Street. But also the family thing—he's very into that, and there's a lot of family stuff happening in this movie. But the other component of that makes a Craven villain that you would not see necessarily in a Carpenter or in a, a Toby Hooper or anyone else is that Craven's villains have sex. They talk about sex. Sex is a component of them being a human being. And in this movie, I think there's a lot of sexual energy going across the board, and billions do are sexual. And that makes them different. It makes them hypocrites in in a sort of conservative slasher rating. But it also makes them very different. From the vast majority of things that we had seen before, it's not like, like you saw Chucky and like, oh, that dude knows how to fuck. That's <laughs> not a component. It oh, will you know somebody. You know somebody in the there. next <laughs> movie, Bride of Chucky. Yeah. you do learn he knows how to fuck.
1: <laughs> Freddy knows I'm how glad to. We I'm glad we only spent a short time on that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's important for people to know that he has a working penis and he knows how to use. it.
1: considering considering the week that, that, that we're recording this i've just it's been very penisy and i'm tired of talking about them
0: <laughs> i know <laughs> listen these notes made a lot more sense in a pre i have to yank it immediately no matter how many cameras are on <laughs> me world but
1: uh, F- followed by oh no borat borat trapped me on buttoning my pants because it's 2020
0: Yeah, as a man who's tucked in shirts uh, a lot of his life, you don't need to lie down and really dig in to make that happen. It's a quick succession of movements. Because people um,
1: are still getting fooled by Borat.
0: (laughs) Only the dumbest of people, though. I think that's somewhat reassuring that the dumbest amongst us are still falling into that trap.
1: But yes, anyway.
2: <laughs> so I feel like one of the big things that this movie is doing is basically letting Sydney have sex and also live. And yeah. the movie is very almost self-congratulatory about this, right? But one thing I yes. like, going back to your point about Craven villains, um, and I say this as someone who has seen, I think maybe three West Craven movies. Um, is that both of the, <laughs> so there's three main boys in this, uh, the two killers and, uh, Randy, who <clears throat> says something like, I'm so glad virgin, uh, because he gets to also survive the movie, even though that wasn't a necessity. I, I think one thing I like is that both of the killer boys are such fuck boys in such classically teenage ways Mm-hmm. I think you guys said something uh, in the last episode where Skeet Ulrich was playing Johnny Depp, but he's sort of playing Skeet Ulrich, playing Johnny Depp, playing James Dean. Yeah. And <laughs> I just love that it's sort of this, like, classic teenage, greasy-haired, 90s, like, two-long bangs look.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: that Matthew Lillard looks like Gumby, But he is also able to fuck somehow. And the fact that like you have like a super cool guy who probably fucks bad. And then also Gumby, who I assume fucks bad. I feel like that covers like the full spectrum of how teenage boys fuck. And that Mm -hmm. is something that I really appreciate about this movie. I I gotta
1: say, I gotta say, probably surprisingly good in the sack, Dewey. I I, Not I think I, 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 I think well well true, true. But I just think that Dewey is probably a, a tender, sensitive lover.
0: <laughs> he listens to other people. He, he, he wants
1: to he wants to please people. He's a good pleaser
0: lot of
1: ice cream looking
2: practice.
0: <laughs> Listen, that mustache isn't just for looks. Like he uses it. Oh, I, I'm I'm sorry, I just threw up in my mouth. <laughs>
2: Um, I was like, do you know what a mustache feels like? Because-
0: <laughs> well, that's for me to know and you to find out. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> um. So while we're talking about, while we're on this, why don't we get into, before we get to the rest of the plot mechanics and, and me noticing which beer ads are pr- prominently featured. Uh, let's talk about these rules from Randy. These rules suck. And I don't mean to, I know we've, we've done this territory before, but these rules are ephemeral. They don't apply to the most popular of horror films. They are subjective and um, they are entirely based on like a, a casual reading of Men, Women, and Chainsaws. And as such, I find that it has ultimately done more harm than good with people's understanding of horror movies. You can never have sex is not a thing. Retaining a hymen does not make you outsmart a mass killer. And the preeminent example of this, of course, is the Friday the 13th franchise, in which every... Final person, with the exception of one 12-year-old kid and maybe that girl who went to Manhattan, because I don't know what the fuck's happening there. Everyone else has had sex. This is not something that is a thing in that franchise. And When it comes to it, it it all seems to land in the lap of Laurie Strode, who is a virgin by choice. Because her selection of guys in high school sucks. And she knows it. And for some reason, her girlfriends are like, please, please participate in this. And she doesn't want to. (laughs) And so for some reason, this has become a rule. It isn't. It's just she simply doesn't want to fuck someone who just to cross it off her list. Let Lori Strode live, (laughs) y'all. Um, it, it's not a rule. So now we get to you can never drink or do wait, drugs. Wait, wait, which wait, wait, wait!
2: I feel like yes. we need to like unpack this more. Sorry. Okay.
0: No, no.
2: So, okay. So when you say I am not super familiar with the horror genre, as I have already sure. stated, I think mm-hmm. that if it is true that the whole virginity immunity effect is not really a horror genre. I think it's sort of worth discussing why people associate it with the genre. Like I think that's really interesting. Because initially when you were talking about this, my first impulse, my a very cynical one, was to uh-huh. basically say, well, this is a really easy way for Kevin Williamson to distinguish this movie from all of the other ones right to say True. my boo my move all of these other movies are formulaic but mine is not and i'll show you how it's not by subverting it um so i think like maybe that's partly like why that's there but i also wonder if the reason why people have really glommed onto this theory other than the fact that you know It's something that a lot of people talk about is because people are trying to make sense of the horror genre if they're not that familiar with it. I think basically when you think of sort of horror or the slasher genre specifically, uh, the overwhelming image you're going to get is of some man or masculine figure cutting up girls right yeah even if it's not accurate even if it's not statistically uh i i I think that the point is that like it's interesting to me that people have really glommed onto this theory um and why that's a meaningful theory to them or why that's some why that's a persuasive theory am i going anywhere with this you are okay
0: Uh, um (laughs) I don't want to to dominate the conversation. So, I mean, Gina, what do you think your theory is on this particular thing?
1: I mean, I, I think with, you're in, t- in terms of you know the, the rules, I think that you know he is being sort of uh, pointedly saying how you know a lot of slash movies after a certain point just form followed very much a, a a formula that you know, th- that quote unquote punished people for doing things that normal teenagers did. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, I think that, uh, that uh, Inga was right that, you know, Williamson wants to you, you know, let you know that you know, he was aware of this and that it wasn't going to be this kind of movie. And of course, you know, the, the, the gag in, that carries over into Scream 2 is that I'm fairly certain Randy does have sex shortly before he is murdered. <laughs> so you know all things pass as it were you know he turned he turned out to be right the whole time and again yeah. it's very winky and, and 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 self-aware there's also i think the you know, my theory is you know billy more or less kind of I, I would say he browbeats her into into having sex i mean she seems like she kind of is all right with it you know by the time they, they actually go ahead and do it but you know the fact that he keeps bringing it up you know yeah. he's trying. He's trying to humiliate her, and 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 so yeah, I think it's definitely kind of you know pushing the whole idea of you know this is to punish you. This is to punish you.
0: And because this particular film is very much of the you're going to pay for having sex because that is the actual you know uh, ground zero it's not just her pay
1: it's it's the whole town has paid because sydney's mother had sex yes i mean how many people have died by the time this this movie's over and it started (laughs) because sydney's mom liked to sleep around which okay that's not great but i mean it's not the absolute you know you know ground zero worst thing a person can do
0: Yes. For whatever reason, it's like a small explosion happening near a fault line, and then it causes this ripple effect, and all of a sudden, half of California's in the ocean.
1: And also, I mean, I, I feel like you, as, as a mother myself, that, that Billy's mother just abandoning him... Because because the dad cheated on her, but yeah, Billy blames Sydney's mom for this. It's like no, your no. mom your mom takes some of the sh- the lion's share of, of the blame for this. You don't you don't literally throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah, you know, I mean, if your if, you know, if your marriage goes south or whatever, you don't just you know walk away from the kid too.
2: What about, like, his dad? His dad was the one who was actually doing the cheating. Right, and that's, and the, that's that was... the thing.
1: Everything is, right, exactly. Everything points to this is Sydney's mom's fault. She is the, the, you know, the trigger point for all of this.
0: Well, you know, she's dead, and she's still paying for it. <laughs> and this movie has, is, has so much to do with how the men in it look at women. Like, it's all one-sided. And they prey on women's uh, having to be nice on the phone to someone you've never heard or not causing a fuss when someone gets your way when you want to walk out of a garage. It's just all of this stuff is about terrible, toxic masculinity. And so part of this reflection in Randy is him pointing out these very conservative tropes Within the concept of slasher movies, but really you're looking in inside the mind of Randy and him rationalizing why he isn't having sex. I'm not having sex because then I'll be able to I, outwit a killer. I've
1: made the choice to keep myself safe. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, Randy, I told myself that too when I was in high school.
0: Right. I, I I can I can drink beer, but I won't I won't go crazy because I still need to keep my wits about me because I'm smarter than all these peons, and I I won't take these social cues. I'll continue to act like an ass as a as a defensive mechanism. Therefore, I won't tell people I'll be right back. Like all of it. Has less to do with horror movies and everything to do with Randy, and it's, it's who also, probably would have voted for Bush forty three if he had lived.
1: <laughs> it's also it's also worth pointing out that that the you know they're all everybody's gathered around they're all watching Halloween. It's a mostly male you know audience at this party. Mm-hmm. All the boys are concerned about it, when are we going to see boobs? Yeah, and and I do I do think that that's you know. You kind of funny that leads into, you know, well, if you even get a whiff of sexuality near you, you're probably going to be killed.
0: Yes.
2: But I think one of the reasons why Rand- we're so obsessed with Randy is because Randy is this really wonderful depiction of a certain kind of viewing mode that maybe is something particularly relevant to horror, where you simultaneously enjoy. A film and feel superior to it at the same time because you say, you think to yourself, I know what's coming, like all of this is a formula Uh and so I think and like that kind of viewing mode is also really potent when you're a teenager, right? Like you get like the sense that you figured everything out Uh and so yeah, and also as like critics we also have this mode of enjoying something but also thinking we're like outsmarting the movie that we're watching and so I feel I'm sorry like we're all randy
0: <laughs> yeah I feel like we I,
1: have to admit this
0: I, I think admitting it is the first part of oh I'm totally
1: on. a randy I, I think I touched on this in, uh, in, in the last one I was definitely used to be a a. You know, I know everything about these kinds of movies and I, it was I a wonder like- that I had friends
0: i definitely know that well i i was friendless in in high school for a lot of reasons but probably because i was too sarcastic by half and and used it as as a real shield to uh, because i was afraid of everything including getting hurt but later like When I was a Universal Studio tour guide, like, part of the reason I got that job so easy is because I knew all that shit already. And the only reason I think some of those people wanted to be my friend initially was because I would tell them all the information they would need to know to actually get that job. And I won them over eventually and learned from this that the reason they actually stuck around me as friends was not because I knew really stupid shit about the $6 million man they did see something in me worth knowing. And you have a bunch of people in this movie who really just want the knowing. They just want the benefits of knowledge. They don't really want to be emotionally available for that other person, with the exception of Tatum and Sidney. And to a lesser degree, Gail. Gail's a tough nut to crack. It's it's hard to know there. But also, she's in the worst place of having to be the established woman in a career position who constantly has to reinforce that she knows what she's doing because everyone will discount her, which is essentially what she tells Dewey when they have their little date. And now I've blown the minds
1: of everyone <laughs> on the show. I'm digesting
0: what you're saying.
1: I'm... <laughs> I'm waiting. Am
0: I talking out of my ass? I'm no, like no, talking no, out no, of no, my no, ass. No, no,
2: no, no. I'm waiting to talk about the scene where Sydney like is thrown out of the window. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, let's get there. So I like a bunch of plotty shit happens here. Um we talked a little bit about the costumes It looks like everyone uh has shopped at the secret world of Alex Mack's store. It's
1: and yet it only, looks right, though. It looks oh, no, right it's for the totally time
0: period. It looks time great. appropriate. It's just amazing. It, you
1: know, all the girls' clothes are tight fitting. All the boys' clothes are like two sizes too big for them.
0: Right. And Rose McGowan's nipples probably earn SAG wages. They have more screen time than most under five actors in the movie. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, Gina, but uh, it wouldn't be kill by kill. If I didn't point out that the heater in the garage is the same as the faulty heater in Scream for Help.
1: Is it now?
0: It is the exact. I put them next to one another. It's fucking freaking.
1: I I can't imagine that that's an homage. though.
0: (laughs) No, I think it was just a heater that was in those two houses. Why in the world
1: would you have an homage to Scream for
0: Help? Well, speaking of homages, the one that I know is an homage is Ghostface's robe is all sparkly like the ski mask in prom night. (laughs) Like, oh, Jesus. Come on. We get it. You have a hard on for prom night. I don't get it, but I see it. I see you. (laughs) Do you Um, think that Ghostface
2: sits at home and like cuts out all of the little v's on the bottom of this (laughs) robe
0: um i no, i think it it, that costume essentially came like that the weird thing is like that mask was a real mask that they licensed which is why for the tv show it. it
1: was not made for it was not made for this
0: no they had designed all sorts of masks including like halloween um uh clown homages like the first thing michael wears and they had tried their own versions of screams, and they kept coming back to the thing that gave them the inspiration to try it in the first place, which was this this uh, ghost face mask. And so they're like, I, "I think we just need to bite the bullet and license it," which is why it, it they can make as many of those masks as possible because it doesn't come part and parcel with Screen. They have to negotiate every single time they make a movie to license that mask.
2: Hmm. That's fascinating.
0: And if you were just wondering who does the vast majority of the killing, believe it or not, both Billy and Stu are very equitable in their relationship. Um while Stu starts off in the lead with both Steve and Casey, Billy does pick up the pace. He kills Principal Himbry and he kills Tatum. So uh, they're both kind of good and bad at it at the same time.
1: Which is odd because you, you can't tell the difference between which one is which, and yet and and yet when they're not wearing the costumes, Stu is rather a bit taller than Billy.
0: Yeah, it's insane. There's there's such a height difference between them and it's never reflected in Ghostface. It's only ever reflected in the grunts they make.
1: Yeah, I can uh, I can definitely so- tell when it's Matthew Lillard grunting. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, speaking of grunting, I just wanted to note very quickly uh, that uh, Stu sends Billy and Sydney up to his parents' bedroom. They have a very small bed for adults, but also mismatched night tables. Oh, come on. You've got like a 10-room house and mismatched night tables? What is happening in this house? No wonder Stu has turned out this way. There, I, I, This is craziness. This house is insane.
1: Yeah, it's one of those houses that you see a lot lot in horror movies where it just does not seem to end. Like, you're just running through room after room after
0: room after room. And it's not like it's a Doctor Who sitch. Like, it looks as big on the outside as it does on the inside. Right, but it's like a hill house where,
1: like, you you run through a room and then there's another door which takes you to another room, which (laughs) takes you up a flight of stairs, which takes you into another room.
0: Yes. I guess we're down to, you know, Billy's ribbed T-shirt. That's gross.
2: I actually... So, so one thing I really love about the third act of this movie, which uh-huh. I will say basically starts with Sydney having sex with Billy. Yeah. And then, like, the whole party sort of just going into complete chaos. One thing I absolutely love about the controlled chaos of this third act is that there are a bunch of fake-outs. And so the movie seems even crazier than what you think it is. I think Gail Weathers crashes her car, Dewey ends up stabbed, Sydney falls out of a window, Uh, initially you think Billy is dead, and so there's not that many deaths, but because almost everyone sort of gets it in some way, there's Mm -hmm. this real sense of, like, pure absolute unpredictability that I think makes this movie so fun.
1: I, think I would have I would have loved it if like if they had a post credit sequence like I forget which Avengers movie uh, where they're all sitting there having uh, shawarma afterwards, but it right. would have been funny to just have like Dewey, Gale, uh, Randy, and Sydney all sitting like a hospital cafeteria. They all got like neck braces and bandages <laughs> on. They're just kind of quietly sitting there, just drink, eating a sandwich and drinking coffee, and then just just like cussed to black. <laughs> I love that. Just
0: I think that's perfect way to end this movie. Uh, it's a shame that Kenny wouldn't be involved because oh, Kenny, Kenny. Kenny eats three different bags of chips in the span of 10 minutes of this movie. What else are you going to do
1: when you're sitting in a van watching some teens party?
0: <laughs> he's down. He's living in a van down by the river in his heart. This Kenny man, I tell you. Every once in a while, I it's such a good performance because he's he's throwing a lot out there in just reactions to Gail. Like, that's really where you get you're getting what you get of him as a character is him listening to Gail go off. But every once in a while he looks over and is like, Oh my god, we're gonna do something good. And she's like, I can't wait to nail these fuckers. I'm gonna be I'm gonna earn a Pulitzer Prize. (laughs) He's like Oh, I'm just probably gonna have this job. <laughs> I'm looking forward to my next bag of chips. It, it's there's a human element to it that I think is beautiful. And then when he dies, it's it's a it's a throat slashing, and mean, you think that's it for Kenny. But lo and behold, Billy kills Kenny and then manages to get him on the roof he, of that van. And he's a
1: large man. What is Billy benching? He is filled with Cheetos.
0: (laughs) Granted, uh, Kenny seems to be comprised of only Cheetos and blood, and he's missing a lot of it by the time we see him again. Because there's blood on the ground in front of, of the door. There's blood all over the windshield. I mean, he is really letting it all out there. Can we talk
1: about for a second the 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 bizarre way that they get the house to clear out the rest <laughs> of the rest of the party goers? Because they, I mean, they, some they,
0: people drift out normally, but yes, I, um, I, I don't know. I, I don't
1: shit. know why they're calling Randy to to let them know that the principal <laughs> has been murdered, but he has been, I, I believe, strung up by his guts on the on the uh, on on the the. The football, the football
0: uh thingy, uh, whatever you call uh, it, yeah. the goalpost. <laughs> Can you tell that we were big athletes in high school? <laughs> and the ever, football and
1: everybody's like, oh shit, we gotta see that before they take them down. <laughs> and we're like, Woo-hoo! Yeah, these <laughs> like are some uh, really callous teenagers. That's just a bunch of sickos in this town, man.
0: I mean, you would have thought that someone had announced that Dishwalla <laughs> tickets are going on sale. <laughs>
1: They're just like they're just hauling ass to what to see this murdered man get t- get taken down by the coroner. We gotta
0: get there before they take him down. I and mean, like, you know. my
1: you, this is pre-Instagram, so there was no there was no influencing they
0: could have done with seeing their <laughs> murdered principal. It was brick and mortar influencing It's who you could talk to. It was really personal that way.
1: But yeah, that Speaking that's, the, that's the, the 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 hilariously contrived manner of emptying out the house of everybody except except <laughs> Billy's two, Sydney and Randy.
0: Yes, and everyone else drunk drives their way out there and they almost hit Dewey and and Gail on the way out. And that's an, another practical effect thing where it's perspective putting the cars as close to uh those actors as possible and it really works. Like there's just some old school West Craven directing going on in this movie. It's just, I know we kind of, you know, went overboard to a degree in the last episode, but it's, it's really true, man, that you're, you're watching a guy who has made great movies and not so great movies. Just hone in on what makes a movie great and execute it perfectly. It's amazing that this film is as good as it is given how toxic so much of the cast members are in it in their roles
1: oh yeah yeah definitely
2: i think the other thing i really like about that scene where gail almost runs over sydney is that gail at this point is completely out of her mind with fear (laughs) yeah and i think that's another reason why Gale is the most relatable character in the entire Scream franchise because she's the only... I feel like everybody else basically acts like they're in a horror movie where basically someone is out to kill them, but they generally have, like, a sense of, like, what's going on. Whereas if I or Gale were in in this situation, we would just completely go from, like, zero to, like nutbag in three (laughs) seconds. There's like another scene where I guess I'm going a little forward but Gail has to shoot one of the killers and basically her hand is shaking and she can't actually do it and she just ends up sort of beat up and I thought, yes, that's exactly me. (laughs) If I was confronted with a killer and I had to stop him, I would definitely be unconscious within two seconds.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. Sydney kind of a little too cool about it at the end
0: but can can i just mention the moment that i remember cheering in the movie theater and it literally happened again when i watched this part of the movie just for this podcast in which you have stew reappear outside and he's going randy killed all these people and randy going no it's stew and she looks at both of them and like yeah, both of them have the capacity to kill people is the determination that she makes. And she slams the door in their faces, keeps the gun for herself and says, fuck you both. And I'm like, yes, finally. Holy shit. It, it is um, cruel in a certain way. But also she's been fucked over enough. It's not really time for Sydney to be thinking about others at this point. She needs to make a decision to save herself in that moment, and she makes it. And that decisive nature elevates her character in that moment. You, I agree she gets a little action hero-y in a lot of this, but I think part of that comes from the decision by Williamson and Craven, and this will go on, to make suspense sequences that are akin to action sequences in a diehard you know they're big they're boisterous they have they you know they're running for their lives and as a result like it's not quite intimate you know quick kills like a halloween or a friday the 13th so if you survive long enough you're gonna look like you're a bit invulnerable
1: i just
2: i think Maybe it's a weakness of mine. I just don't think I can put one of my fingers into a bullet hole.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that that takes a lot of forethought. That I'm like, I mean, I might be able to like hit him, maybe. You know, still would probably think of pushing the television on his head, but 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 actually, like like you know, just yeah, let me just stick my finger right in there. <laughs> I mean, at the very least, I'm definitely throwing up on him right after that. <laughs>
0: I think that would have made it better yeah, I was if gonna she had say, done like, which, it and gone, This is so gross. I have to react by throwing it Yeah, up I mean, which would face.
1: have probably thrown him off a little more.
0: <laughs> it would have been a great fly reference. I mean, honestly.
2: That's how Joker should have ended.
1: <laughs> just shit throwing up on somebody or somebody throwing up on him?
2: No, just like having his head bashed in by a television. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: You know what? You could have started that movie with his head bashed in uh, into the television. It would have improved the entire affair.
2: Oh, uh, anyway, sorry about uh, the joke there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, this movie has a, a one of those things that you think might be another Craven trying out an idea and then revising it later, but it's actually Williamson. He does the killer under the car bit. Now he will recycle that idea for his draft of "I Know What You Did Last Summer." Uh, and I think, personally, it's part of a really big chase sequence uh, in that movie that I think is astounding. And I would say it comes off a little bit better in that than it does in Scream. I have a hard time believing that you can scramble under a car like that if you are the size of Stu Mocker.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's a little, again, that's a little bending reality a bit.
0: Yes, But, you know, we're into the, you know, craziness of this all. And, of course, uh, once it's revealed that it's a a Billy and Stu, you know, joint, I think we kind of have to talk about this relationship because it's a fantastic element, this queer element that happens that's all by their performance. Their physical intimacy with one another is, of course, based on the fact that they're both broken psychotics.
1: Well, or I would say, sociopaths. I would say you definitely, you know, Billy is the brains of the operation mm-hmm. and Billy probably is the one who talks to into doing this. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, Williamson probably read, you know, if not he, I'd be surprised if he didn't read a few true crime novels about serial killers at work in pairs. Yeah, because there's usually one that's kind of you know, and and again there is occasionally you know, a sexual element to it. I don't want to say a romantic
0: leopold and low, right? And uh,
1: um Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool. Mm. Um, I mean I don't want to say romantic. I it's sexual and and yeah you know so one kind of has that over the other one usually because one is struggling with his feelings and that's the other one how that's how the other one's able to get. Their, that level of control over them. So yeah, that element is definitely there. Very interesting.
0: Yeah.
2: I know
1: that I don't want to bring the podcast down, but, and I know
2: my chronology is wrong because Scream is 97, but it was just impossible not to think about Columbine when, when you get that reveal, because not that like any, I, I think basically the idea that like these two teenage boys who seemed totally normal um, because apparently all of that black, black trench coat mafia stuff was like basically complete bullshit by the media. Oh yeah.
1: You're not wrong. Yeah. This movie was brought up a lot um, in like crimes related you know, to teen- involving teenagers doing horrible things. This was pointed yes. to a lot, like in the late nineties mm-hmm. into the early two thousands. I mean, if you go to the Wikipedia page, there's a whole section called controversy and, and Columbine might even be listed there. Okay. It is. Yeah, I think
2: that just from the vantage of 2020, when all of the stuff of the late 90s get uh, agglomerated together, it made it so much scarier because the idea that there were these two boys who—there were these, like, two straight white boys, basically— who no one suspected of anything, and were just sort of going around girl, going around killing girls that they had either dated or were sexually attracted to, seemed just like a little bit too real, which then sort of made me respect the movie even more, but also just added this extra layer of, uh, horrifying real life for San I didn't really want.
0: Yeah, I can I can totally see that, and I don't know. I don't know that um the filmmakers it was their necessarily their intention. I just think they tapped into an element of the Zeitgeist that really resonates. Yeah. And all these years later it resonates even more. It's that potent of a combination of factors where they're so angry at the se- at the sexual power women hold and can use without their knowledge, consent, or decree that they literally flip into murderous psychopaths. They, They, they rev themselves up into this self pity hatred, and then it all goes outward and it's resonant. It really is. It's a very fun, funny movie But it also has this component that it cannot escape because it's a little too true.
2: And I think the other thing that makes me think about Columbine is that with Columbine, there was this big fear that video games were leading young men into violence. And here it's movies. And I'm really glad that Kevin Williamson has this very definitive, very smart uh, angle on like what role movies play in real life violence, I don't think it's like one hundred percent um reliable, but mm-hmm. basically the quote that uh I think Billy says is, movies don't create psychos, movies make psychos more creative, and I think that's like ninety five percent of the way true, right. But I think that anxiety about what is media doing to impressionable young minds or whatever, it seems very 90s and very now. And mm-hmm. it just sort of adds even more to that Columbine comparison, even though I think Columbine was 99. Yes. Anyway, yes. I'm glad that you guys didn't think that I was completely off there.
1: No, no, no. no. It, it's It's, you know watching it today it's that particular aspect of it is both fascinating and chilling in a way that i didn't quite grasp when i saw it initially
0: yeah i i think the the well as a i was a clueless dude so um i think i would have would have had the most surface reaction to it all it is only with the amount of time and experience that i've had that i can see unfortunate components of those people in myself and feel better that I have evolved, but also understand that that movement can work in the other way too. And it can be displayed in other fashions in which you, uh, if we're to, to decide that we're going to police other people's enjoyment of horror or what horror movies they like, or be gatekeeping in some fashion, like that's all these elements. And this is just taken to that murderous extreme, but there's so many points of that tribalism that are still, Incredibly prevalent, incredibly dangerous, and all around us, unfortunately.
2: And I think part of what makes all of that discourse so fascinating and so human is this combination of unknowable danger plus extreme Mm -hmm. youth. And there's a line where after Sidney tells the killers that she has called the police, where Matthew (laughs) Lillard says, my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. (laughs) And it's just like the kind of thing where I don't want to bring this like again to Columbine, but like, you can sort of like think it or or you can sort of like, see that imagine that thought going through every single teenage killer, right? Like, Mm -hmm. if I don't, I'm sorry to be like a bummer, like shoot myself, so that I don't have to pay for any of the things that I did. Like, that's going to be their response. My mom and dad are gonna be so mad at me. And I love, one thing I really love about Matthew Lillard's performance is how, like, completely drowned his face is in bodily fluids. There's tears. Oh, yeah, he crumples.
1: He crumples. Yes. And 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 you you know that as soon as as the, the cops would catch up with him, and they would eventually... Mm-hmm. i mean i don't know he's what their are game
2: dehydration basically
1: gonna, <laughs> yeah and, and he's gonna turn on billy they, they like the minute the cops would have leaned on him he would have turned on billy he just he like, the, the minute he was facing the idea oh my god she called the cops we might not get away with this he just he, he goes to pieces
0: yeah i mean at one point the phone rings and he says out loud should i let the machine get it he's that out of decision making capacity I, I love when he like
1: I like I love when 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 Billy Hansen was the supposed to talk to her. He's like, hello. He's like, <laughs> he's, like, he's like he's like already afraid of her. Like 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 yeah. oh shit, she's got the upper hand here. And, and it's he,
0: none of the, none of what is happening now. This was not in the, the aftermath of them penetrating one another. <laughs> Oddly <laughs> enough, they they've released this this tension that they have between the two of them, and he's been on the sharper end of that knife. And he he can't handle it. And as a result, like there is a really beautiful performance happening here from Lillard. Well, it
1: kinda lets you know how dumb their plan is. I mean, it it, it does work and yet it doesn't work at the same time. It's like, okay, at what point did you decide, yeah, we're just gonna stab each other a couple times, lightly? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like like you would like, you know, you know, poke at a potato before you put it in the microwave. You know, not not too hard. Don't puncture my lung or anything. Just you know, yeah. make make me bleed a little bit. Yeah, all right, that that sounds good. And and again, to look at true crime, you know, every, every you know, anytime somebody has staged a murder that they themselves have committed and made it look like, oh no, they attacked me too, uh-huh. it, it it never it it, it it never holds up because they are injured way less than the dead person is. Yeah. Um. One recent one, uh, there was, a, I think there was a Netflix special about, about Jeffrey McDonald. Yes. He, where his wife and very small daughters,
0: yeah, that's terrible,
1: were that's basically terrible. brutalized. They were unrecognizable, whereas he had a little bump on his head. Little he scr- got
0: a poking at you, poking at you, poking at you. Little
1: scratch on his side. And like, oh, yeah. you know, he got me. And you know, <laughs> now they're going to, you know, he, they left you, you know, with a scratch and, you know, obliterated your family. That doesn't mm. make any sense. Nor would this make any sense, that they're going to be the only survivors of, of, you know, the Great Woodsboro Massacre.
0: <laughs> and yet the other component of this is, is that they go about trying to kill Dewey and Gale and Randy.
1: Not and, the, and not checking that they're dead for one thing.
0: <laughs> and they fail to do all of those things. It's, there's a, there's a real, un, it, it doesn't feel fast and cheap. It feels like everything is thought through. And as a result, all these years later, it, that's one of the components that really holds up is that, you know, the, this very idea feels real to a the motivations and the dynamics feel real. The results are not real in any way, shape, or form, which is why it feels so delightful when Stu gets a TV to the face.
2: <laughs> what did you guys think um, of um, the umbrella stabbing?
0: Well, here's one thing about that umbrella stabbing that makes it, even more brutal. And that is that uh, she, the actress actually hit a part of his chest. She missed the uh, protection plate. And uh, he actually had had a heart surgery (gasps) as a child and it penetrated his scar tissue. Ooh! So he's really reacting to a umbrella penetrating his chest (gasps) in that moment. Because it really happened.
2: Is this Ulrich was, or Lillard?
0: No, it's Ulrich.
1: That's rough.
0: Yeah, it is fucking rough. <laughs> it's really yeah, the, rough. Yeah, I mean,
1: that I will say that the the fight scenes in this look are very well done. They're they are oh, like, yes. they are like visceral.
0: I mean, compare this to that 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 lady slapping that we saw in the original Friday the 13th. Like There's actual fight choreography here that feels real to the situation they're in. And part of the reason why, you know, Stu has been a a Mack truck in comparison to Billy at this point in the movie. And one of the reasons she manages to get the upper hand on him is because he has been almost mortally wounded by his partner in crime.
1: (laughs) Just stab a little
0: just, just stab just, just nothing important
1: just a little stab right here between, on, the, right here between the, the ribs nothing important
0: there <laughs> stab me a little what do you want to do <laughs> um so and in the end of course uh sydney triumphs in that uh she manages to uh get past due and uh and 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 uh she is not fooled by billy's sort of uh uh lying and wait bit, and of course Randy calls that out, and she shoots him right in the head. Which I don't know about you, Gina, but my theater when I first saw it erupted. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and then this movie simply doesn't have the balls to kill off Dewey. But
1: uh, again, God bless,
0: Dewey God bless, a character I like.
1: Dewey, Dewey's a gem.
0: He is. Well, a little too, he's dumb, a gem. little too
1: dumb to live, but 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 he but he means well.
0: <laughs> too dumb to live too stupid to and, die and the only
1: guy in the movie who is not a complete and total creep
0: exactly i mean that is his saving grace is that he is not a total creep
1: Cotton um, I, I think a total creep we don't really get Do to we, know cotton till later though
2: yeah but yeah. As, as what we know of him here the cotton yeah cotton just a
1: good collateral damage
0: Yeah, I also think Cotton is righteously stupid, and as Billy notes, like he was super easy to frame, and that gives them a lot of confidence. Also,
1: Cindy's dad. Yeah, Cindy's dad's all
0: right. Yeah,
2: Cindy's completely helpless, useless dad.
0: (laughs) And I think that's part of what the movie's aim is in in a sense of making youth dangerous so that it wasn't just a movie aimed at teenage audiences, it also knew it would have a crossover with adults and that they would be fearful of being unable to stop the dangerousness of youth in the 90s. And it's very much playing into that concept. Yeah. Uh, so that pretty much wraps up Scream. But before we go, of course, we should and must play Choose your own death venture, and that is where we decide, of the deaths presented in this motion picture, uh, if you were forced to die one of those ways, which one would you choose and why? Up for bid. We have gutted in a patio chair. Uh, We have stabbed three times and then hung by a swing. You have, of course, stabbed a couple times in a principal's office. Uh, You have crushed uh, your head crushed in a door, a garage door. Um, and a throat slitting, uh, then stabbed a whole bunch of times at having a TV dropped on your head. Although, if Williamson had gotten his way, Stu would have lived and come back in Scrape 3. Uh, so it is debatable whether or not Stu actually died, but for all intents and purposes, it's presented as if he does die. And then, of course, stabbed a few times, penetrated by an umbrella, and shot in the head. And so, Ingo, as our guest... I choose you to go first.
2: I think, as a TV critic, there would be something particularly poetic about having a TV fall on my head, fatally killing me.
0: <laughs> it, it. I mean, think of the article headlines that would run in the Hollywood Reporter <laughs> after that. I'm, I'm not sure how you would bring Bafo into it, but I would hey, assume someone variety. would really try. <laughs> Rude. My my apologies as an industry person. Well, we lost her
1: as a return guest. Thanks a lot, Patrick.
0: <laughs> Aren't you owned by all the same people now?
2: Yes, as of two. Weeks okay. ago. <laughs> but we have standards.
0: So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and you should retain them. All right, Gina, what say you?
1: You know, I'm gonna make a controversial uh uh Observation here, Uh and say that if I was a a a sexually confused serial killer, Uh I'd probably be Stu. I I liked Stu. I I don't know why I liked Stu. I I I found him charming in his murderous incompetence. Uh You know, just he won me over with the whole hello. He's trying to. Did you really call the police? I felt that eminently relatable. Sure, so, sure. yeah, I, too, I'm going to take just you know, smash over the head of the television.
0: Now, are you going to be able to sweat that hard and spit that much? Because that that is a lot of expectorate. He's, you know, as,
1: probably. But also, I, I am considerably smaller than him. So mm-hmm. I probably would end up just bleeding out of the many, you know, minor <laughs> to moderate stab wounds. By, would my you get it, to
0: the TV sequence. Yeah, I don't would
1: even you? think I, I think I would just collapse somewhere in the hallway before I even make it to the living room.
0: Um it's weird now watching that I instantly flash back to a movie that had not come out yet I don't think which is gross point blank where someone where uh, uh someone also dies by TV to the face <laughs> um but and yelling okay, it happens in, it
1: happens in henry portrait of serial killer too oh that's right Just smash the tv right over someone's knock knocking. there's a
0: lot of tv deaths yeah now that i'm thinking about it
1: what can't do that anymore, anymore can't, can't do that anymore with the flat screens
0: that's yeah, true they're not as dangerous Mm-mm. and you don't get all of that uh electronics it doesn't someone someone the uh, smashes into a tv and shocker too don't they? yep yep yeah tv deaths everybody you're <laughs> our their new get bunked all right um I think I'm going to go with Principal Himbry. Wow. Um, here's why. I like to look at myself in the mirror and comb my hair with just my hand and pretend I'm the Fonz. And I would love to participate in football in high school in some way, shape or form. <laughs> and probably the only way I'd ever get able to do it was be strung up on the football field by my own uh, 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 guts.
2: I'm glad you know yourself.
1: <laughs> That's
0: what most people say when they guest on the show. I'm glad you know yourself. I don't know that I want to, but okay. And so that just about does it. But before we go, Ingu, uh, can you tell people where they can find you and where they can hear more from you?
2: Sure. Uh I am on Twitter at Ingu King, I-N-K-O-O-K-A-N-G. I write for The Hollywood Reporter, and I am at the All About Amadovar podcast, which is about the movies of Petr Amadovar. What we do is we call the podcast An Introduction to Loving the Movies of Petr Amadovar. And uh, if you don't know who he is, you are really in for a treat. Sometimes Mm -hmm. he does some horror-related things as well particularly in uh, the skin I live in. But oh, yeah. I think he's a really great filmmaker who likes to play a lot with genre. So I think I... So it seems like something that people might be interested in if they like horror.
0: Yes, I I, I really encourage people to go through his filmography. And I think when I started, I viewed him in some way as some sort of stuffy art house oh, no. sort of thing. But he is... So wild, so inventive, and his movies are so full of fun and vibrant life. And a lot of people look super hot in them. That's the other (laughs) component. Like, he knows how to make people hot. So he's got that going for him.
2: He knows how to make hot people make you feel incredibly uncomfortable, just (laughs) like a horror movie would. There we go
0: there you go we we squared that circle gina <laughs> where can people find you on these here internets
1: i write about movies and television at the spool.net uh, i recently just wrapped up recapping uh, hbo's lovecraft country um i'm also in the process of taking my own blog out of hiatus at gina and you can find me ranting and raving and losing my mind on a daily <laughs> basis on twitter at porcelain72
0: Do it today. People check it out. Of course, this is coming out uh, just before Halloween. So we want people to be safe for Halloween. We also want them to fucking vote. Please,
1: God, please, please,
0: God. In the four years we have been doing this, this has been a wonderful safe haven. And not only for us, but we've been told by our audience and we believe you but there's a better way y'all. We could I know there's still going to be dangers and and travails in this world, but let's work towards improving them rather than just setting fire to all the walls around us. So please for the love of god, just mark that dot next to the person who has a d in their fucking name and then we can work on all sorts of cool progressive things on the local and state level to build up people who might perfectly represent what we want in this world. But I'll tell you one fucking thing is that Joe Biden isn't going to lose the parents of over 500 fucking innocent children. So for the love of God, vote, if you vote Joe If you vote Joe Biden,
1: I might be able to see my niece again.
0: Yes. I would like to hold babies. Okay. That's something I, that I would hold like babies. to fucking do
2: watch horror movies don't live in one
0: exactly
1: exactly can't put it any better than that
0: perfect and with that of course next time uh we will be talking more Hannibal and of course as we dip into November uh we'll be celebrating Thanksgiving in two special ways one we'll be talking about one of the few genuine uh Thanksgiving horror movies uh, with a very special guest. And of course, the uh, <laughs> on Thanksgiving, the episode no one ever listens to, uh, we're going to be playing Saw's Giving, where you decide what of the Saw sequels you want us to watch, because we haven't watched any of them. What's the most confusing? What will drive us insane? You tell us, and we will watch it. Believe it or not. That's what we're doing. Saws given, everybody. Be a part of it. The body count will continue. So for myself, for Gina, and Inko. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Oh, should I also say bye? You don't have, have to. <laughs> <make sure. laughs> say goodbye right now. <laughs>